0: rich baker i get to talk to the people who make their living in the world of entertainment today's guest is billy Bungara now he's got two full-time jobs in different sides of the entertainment industry first of all he's in a band and he started the band jc brooks and the uptown sound which just released their label debut album we'll talk about that in a little bit and in addition to that he's also a full-time director for the stages and the touring companies of the second city theater As always, special thanks to Tom Burns for the original artwork and Diana Lawrence for the original music. And a huge thank you to Phil Ranta, CEO of Comedy Podcast Network, which makes all this possible to be heard by you. Send me an email, livingthedreampodcast at gmail.com. That's livingthedreampodcast at gmail.com. And I now have a fan page on Facebook. If you like that, I'd appreciate it. It's simply facebook.com slash livingthedreampodcast. Without further ado, here's the interview with Billy Bungaroff. Living the Dream, I have Billy Bungaroth on with me, and uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, you are a professional director and a professional guitar player slash songwriter for a band—that's a pretty interesting combination. Um, well, let's start with—I I don't even know where to start. Let's start with the music. Have you been like playing music your whole life? Um, I started playing music I think around the time most
1: people start. I think I got my first guitar when I was in the fourth grade. Didn't really learn how to play it, and started playing about twelve or thirteen. Wow. Angsty, you know, because <laughs> I, 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 mean, I had angst to channel and, uh, you wanted to, girls thought it was cool, so, nice. those things.
0: Yeah. Did you, like, did you ask for the guitar or did, was it like, did your parents just said, hey, we can give a good guitar? I at think this? I had
1: a guitar for a while and then I started to hang out with some, um, I started to hang out with these guys. I was living in Colorado, um, and I started to hang out with these guys who actually could play, and I wanted to be like them. So, um, you know, I started practicing, trying to learn songs.
0: Yeah. Did you take any kind of lessons, or did you kind of just
1: teach I yourself? did not. I took, I've taken sporadic lessons every once in a while. I've probably taken maybe five lessons, guitar lessons in my life. Um, and sometimes I wish I'd taken more, because now I'm really interested in the technical side of things. I came from a very do-it-yourself uh, brand of playing. But uh, yeah, I, I just taught myself. Nice. Taught
0: myself. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are in bands. You know, they're like the guy who's, you know, works at the 7 Eleven's in a band, but you're in a band that's signed and on tour and has records that people can download from iTunes and uh, JC Brooks and the Uptown Sound, if I'm getting that right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have our first, our label debut comes out in October. So. And a label debut means the first album released under a signed label.
1: Exactly. That's great. Exactly, yeah. Um, Yeah, it's nice. I'm 32, and I think I wanted this to happen when I was, like, 24. (laughs) And I don't think I thought it was going to happen. I was focusing on other things in my life. But I never stopped writing songs, and I never stopped playing with people who I enjoyed playing with. And then um, this band just happened to take off. So... Now, at 32, I am, you know, living the life of a 24-year-old crossing the country, you know, touring a little bit. That's awesome. So we'll see what that's like. Uh, you know, I think it's better. I think it's a little self, less self-destructive to do that at my age than, you know, doing it when you're supposed to be in college or just out of college, you know.
0: Sure. With the, with this band, like, this, I'm, this wasn't your first band. Um, like, what do you think is the reason why this band took off and became such a success? Well, I think
1: everything... I think everything has to do with timing. You know, like, Black Flag, the seminal hardcore band, happened as hardcore music was becoming popular. Mm -hmm. Therefore, they were really good at what they did, and people were interested in that music. Sure. Somebody who started a band like Black Flag today is up against some difficulty. Um, I was playing in a band... It was kind of I don't know noise pop music um, in Chicago that I was very proud of uh, but I was listening to a lot of soul music and then I wanted to start a band that was soul music dominated it's still post-punk but you know it's, it's kind of post-punk soul and I had a very specific idea in my head and a very specific idea of what it was going to look like and started to try to find people to, to build it and at that time as that was happening. The Amy Winehouse record had just came out. I think it was out. It might have have been out right after we started the band or something, and all of a sudden people were interested in soul music, and then it was, you know, it just was good timing. Um, And right now, you know, as we keep forging ahead, I don't think we're just a soul band, but we, it is a big part of what we, we do, and there's been a little resurgence in soul, so that's, Purely timing. I I I think that I've written songs and made records um, previous to this that were totally good, but the timing just wasn't right.
0: Yeah. And is J C. Brooks the Uptown Sound? So it was your idea? You formed it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it
1: was it was my idea to form a band. Um, yeah. I, I put an ad in Craigslist.
0: Oh, really? So you, some of these guys you didn't know? Or did I did not know any of them. Really? Wow. I not know anybody.
1: This is a.
0: Was it, were you, like, holding auditions in your garage? Or I was
1: holding auditions in my living room. That's amazing. But the first two guys were JC. The the singer. The singer and Bam, the bass player. And um, uh, Those guys were the first people to show up at my door, so it was meant to be. Yeah. We hung out the first night. We loved each other's songs. We liked being together. We liked playing with each other. It was just, like, awesome. And that was... Um, and at the and at the core of it, that remains. Now that we started this one night, where we just kind of were all in a place where we wanted something more, and uh, and happened to find each other, and then we met a drummer. Um, you know, we we used we used a couple of people. Um, um, the drummer from the band I was playing with played with us for a while. We actually had uh, one of the guys from Tortoise uh, filled in for uh, for a show, and then we found a. Uh, we found a proper drummer who was in the same... Same... But we all have wildly different personalities and wildly different interests with music, but it's a nice group that's come together to kind of make this
0: proto... You know, post-soul type thing. Totally. And, I mean given the band is, is signed and going on do the other guys have like any kind of uh, it's okay you can eat it's, I'm being gets, academia nuts because we're in Hawaii I mean why not right uh, I kind of like that it's pretty raw but uh, like the idea of uh, do they have uh, day jobs is, is like JC an accountant or is your um, yeah
1: we all have day jobs uh, and I mean uh, your
0: day job is creative my day job
1: is a dream but but everybody's going to have to kind of Move away from their day jobs, but yeah, we are all. I mean, it's a very, you know, Chicago band, and that you know, we all work our ass off doing day jobs, mm-hmm. and you know, I think Ian McKay from Fugazi, who is a big influence, especially to Ben and I, the bass player and I. Um, he always said, "Don't let music be your only source of income, um, because it will." Uh, I mean, then, then you're then you're trying to write for somebody else, then you're looking for hits, then you're playing jukebox. You don't get to be express exactly what you feel. Yeah. And with Fugazi, he he had that seminal, you know, punk band, um, uh, post punk band, however you want to say it, emo band, whatever they were, but uh, pre emo band. But nonetheless post-hardcore pre-emo band (laughs) Uh, labels. Uh, But nonetheless, he always had the record label that he was doing and he was always doing stuff so he had a solid, you know, working class job at the same time. And and in a lot of ways, being a a touring musician or even a, a director is, it's not... Insane, and it's not impossible money. It's just working class money. Yeah. People, people get the idea that, oh, you're in a band, so that either means you're absolutely poor, yeah, and you don't really have any, and you're just lazy, or you're make a bazillion dollars, and you're. But that's not necessarily the case. If you want to tour, and you're not afraid to play a couple of gigs that are you know street festivals or a wedding here and there and then you're and you're on the road and you're touring and you're working you're just working very hard for you know a very um, realistic amount of money it's not it, it, playing music isn't a get rich scheme quick yeah uh, as a lot of people i think think it it is it's just...
0: Yeah, I mean, growing up, I mean, I, I had absolutely no idea until probably college that, you know, there were people who made a living off music that weren't ultra-millionaires you know, in the huge concert venues. And,
1: and most like do. And, and, you know, we, being a soul band, we'll play with... Uh, we have horn players who play with us a lot. Can't always afford to take them on the road because we have to make money for the principal players in the band. Yeah. Because uh, that, that sort of thing happens. But then you also have bringing the horn all those guys they're all they all went to school for music and they all play and give lessons and they're all professional musicians so being a professional musician if you're after fortune and glory there's very few places you know but if you're an artist and you're after the artwork and you're after I want to do this I want to dedicate my life to the artwork It's completely feasible. All it means is you're going to be working your whole life. Yeah. You know?
0: Which, if you love what you do, what a great thing. Absolutely. I
1: think my stress level is probably lower than a lot of people's who make more money doing something that they don't enjoy. You know?
0: Absolutely. Um, When it comes to songwriting, um, did you... I I know that you don't write... All the songs for JC, but you write a, a good amount of them. Where uh, do you guys collaborate, and kind of how does take me through your process, if you don't mind?
1: Um, well, it's you know it happens all different ways. You know, like uh, the last song I wrote, I was just you know I had some turmoil in my life, and I wrote a song about it, and we're playing it pretty much as is. But it could never be, it would never be the same if Jason wasn't singing it, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and everybody adds their own to that. But sometimes it'll be like, here's the lyrics, here's the chords, here's what I want this to do. And and I, I am a very, you know, I'm a director as my other job, so I I'm I know what I want all of the time. <laughs> which is great for, you know, some things, but it's, you know, annoying. But some songs are like that, and there are songs that I brought. You know, the title track to the last record, um, which I wrote with an with an improviser, actually. Uh, 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 Tj Jagodowski and I were. I, we had a rehearsal and we just wound up writing the song and then once the song was done I knew exactly what I wanted to do with it and it was like you're going to play this and you're going to play this and we have to do it like this and blah 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 and it worked out great and there's other times I come in where I'm like I have this riff and I don't know what to do with it <laughs> Yeah. you know and we all do that too so sometimes it goes all sorts of ways you know sometimes uh, JC will come in with a song that's like hey this is how I want to play it you know and if you guys want to play it like this let's do it if you don't well. Keep it for keep it for something else. Keep it for uh, you know another another day. So it works all sorts of ways. And then we also jam you know on a, on an idea and something comes to that. But a lot of times I feel like the most inspired stuff from me comes in pretty completed because I have a complete thought. I want to say, yeah, at least you know. But as of right now, that's the way. Wow. But then there's songs I'm really happy with that, you know, have been fully collaborative. And, and I'm not the most musical, as far as music theory goes, person in the band. So I might have, uh, there's all sorts of other hands in arranging the horns and arranging this. Our drummer, um, Kevin, is, uh, has a great mind for the mathematics of music. So, you know, and uh, another collaborator who's kind of an unsung hero, um, for some of my songs, there's a guy named Alex Hall who did horn arrangements for the record, and it's really just me saying, Alex, how do I get it to sound like Stacks And, you know, 1965, how do I get it to sound like this? And he's like, oh man, oh, man, oh, it's easy. You just, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then we get there with some of their horn arrangements or string arrangements.
0: That's awesome. Uh, I feel like I could probably ask you a, a zillion questions about this band that I... Um I just don't know anything about it. But, like, one thing that I'm intrigued by is as the new media is, uh, for lack of a better word, with iTunes, mm-hmm. it seems like you don't, like, the, the idea of, you know, when I was a kid, I would buy a CD and it would be an album. Right. Like, whatever. And, Absolutely. Uh, now you don't really have to have an album in order to be successful or, or whatever. No,
1: so you don't even need a label to some degree, you know. You can, you know, it's it's the Wild West. Yeah. The problem is, is it's also the Wild West as far as money goes, um, and I'm just to set the record straight. I'm usually not this focused on the c- com- commerce side, but it seems like this with the podcast. Is oh about. well,
0: I mean, I'm asking. Like, Please, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. So I, I just, wanted,
1: I just no, wanted, I wanted you to know that I'm. I'm you are the
0: eight You are you are absolutely not that <laughs> a person focused on money based on how I know you. But
1: um, but anyways, nonetheless, uh, the. The thing is, it is like the Wild West in that you can do anything now. You can m- make a record and put it out, and a million people can hear it because you have a video on YouTube, and the whole thing could have been done for 600 bucks. you know? Yeah. On the other hand, um, you know, nobody buys records, and <laughs> it's very hard to monetize a good song. You know, the only way to monetize it is somebody buys it for a commercial. There's yeah. There's no MTV. Like, the radio play, especially for new music is... I mean, for new music written by a band or, you know, is is scant at best. The best thing you can hope for is that you get a cult following, you know, what used to be called, you know, underground rock or indie rock or whatever. Sure. You get a cult following um, and that somebody puts your song in a commercial and... You know, when I was growing up, that was like the worst thing ever. I remember when <laughs> Pete Townsend started to produce songs in all the commercials. I started to hate Pete Townsend for it. I, you know, like I, a sellout kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we grew up in the 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 Nirvana age. Everything, you know, after Nirvana, it was like uh, it was like, oh well, corporate magazines still suck. Everything sucks. If you sell out, it sucks. And now we're in this age that, like, you know. The Black Keys, they're, they're a great band. they uh-huh. got their songs and commercials, you know? Sure. We played with uh, Peter, Bjorn, and John the other day, and they're a great band. they got their songs and commercials. There's all these people, and that's the only way you can l- monetize things and live. Um, we haven't been approached yet, so I don't know what will happen. I can't imagine I'm going to say to, you know, our, if, if, if somebody said to uh, a song that I wrote, uh-huh. and when we, you know, we... You know, just because i wrote the song everybody gets credit because we all added things to that's
0: very judicious of you well that's
1: how you know that's how that's how that's how we we work you know we whatever everybody in in our band even even if if if, even if it's a complete thought like it wouldn't be the same song jason wasn't singing would be the same song if kevin wasn't playing the drums but are you going to say to the rest of the band who's you know trying to pay the bills and trying to like you know live, that, hey, you know, we're not going to put this, hey, we're not going to put this song in the commercial, man, sorry, I don't want to sell out, <laughs> you know, at least people have quit their jobs for this music, so, yeah. you know, I, I can't imagine, it'll be a tough decision if somebody does come knocking at the door, but it would be very difficult to say no,
0: Yeah. you know. What, um... Is there a band that, that's still around that, like, if you could share a bill with them, like, you would, like, if there's, like, that one band, oh, man, I would love to open for them or, or whatever.
1: Well, you know, for a long time it was Wilco, and we have gotten to play with them. Oh, and yeah. And that that was a really big deal for me this summer, as we, we covered one of their songs, and I was a huge fan um, growing up, uh, you know, um, and, uh, you know, we, we got to play and Jeff played on stage and sang with us, has, has played on stage with us twice. And that was really huge for me. Um, you know, there's so many of the soul fans, so many of the soul singers are gone. I've gotten to play with a lot of great soul singers, Syl Johnson, who I have been a, a fan of for a long time. Um, Ronaldo Domino, uh, is a, another guy who I've met from that era. Um. Um, uh, but uh, but Wilco was a big deal uh, to to open and play for. But yeah, there's tons there's tons of other bands. There's a lot of new bands that I hear. Like you know like you know. The, uh, the the Dum Dum Girls is this band I like. You know, there's oh, there's so many there's so much great music. I hate it when people are like, "Oh, there's no great music." Happening. Just like you know,
0: well, these are people that probably just listen to the radio,
1: just listen to the radio, or are getting old and have stopped going out and actively searching for searching for music. In, in Hawaii here, I've, uh, Jacobs turned me on to uh, Solid Gold from Minneapolis and Washed Out. These great electronic bands, LCD Sound Systems. I love what they do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I've gotten, to, we've gotten to play. If you haven't already guessed, one of my favorite parts of being a musician is getting to meet musicians that I've looked up to. Oh, wow. And, you know, we got to play at a festival with Levon Helm from the band. You know, we got to do these things where it's like, oh, gosh, I'm so excited. And I always take pictures with the bands, and I always, like, meet everybody, and I'm I'm still a huge fan.
0: One thing, and this may seem trivial, but I'm just curious, like, uh... Bands have such a wide array of names. How did you guys come up with J.C. Brooks and the Uptown Sound, if you don't mind me asking?
1: Um, you know, Jason Brooks is, you know, J.C. Brooks, so sure. that was that was it. Uh, I, had wanted, I had wanted to start a soul band when I was back in college called the Uptown, and the ba- bass player had recently been in a band in Boston called the Beatdown Sound. So... I don't remember how it all came together, but it was J.C. Brooks and the Uptown Sound.
0: And does anyone in in the band have any kind of... Like, is it weird that one person's name is in the...
1: Not really, because I think that part of the model was, you know, Otis Redding, James Brown, you know, um, at, at least initially, you know. Mm. Uh, you know, Johnny Taylor, um... Th- those types of things. Gladys Knight, for for that matter. You know, Jason always takes a lot of sauce in female singers as much as male singers. Some of his favorite singers are, uh, um, you know, Tina Turner and Patti LaBelle at the same time. So, but nonetheless, um, I, I digress. Uh, the band name was coming from those pe- th- that type of era. where yeah. It was like, you're going to see Otis Redding tonight, you know. And we wanted that feel, but we also wanted to be a band too. So yeah, kind of turned into this very long name.
0: <laughs> well, it's it's cat- I mean it's, I don't know if is catches the right word, but I mean I like I remember it. Yeah. Like, even if I don't remember the whole thing, I remember enough of it to like Google it, which yeah, yeah. I think is pretty important. So let's switch gears. And uh, in addition to being uh, in a band that signed a label, you are also a working full time theater director, mm-hmm. which. Both of those careers, either one of them... In a vacuum, is hard to get. Yeah, you have done both, uh, which blows me away that, that one has happened that you've done two is kind of like lightning striking twice. I mean, not saying that you didn't earn it because you're not super talented and, and a
1: hard worker. Oh, no, 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 no. I I, I agree. It is. I, I'm I'm really blessed that uh, that I have both things going, um, and I think that I might have been able to get one of them going sooner if I wasn't always trying to do two. <laughs> so but you've always kind of wanted
0: the. the I split can't focus. do one without
1: the other. Wow. You can't do one without and the band. The band is very theatrical, too. Yeah. You know, Jason, J.C., you know, um, is an actor. You know, oh, okay. His first love is the theater. You know, so that there's that aspect to the band as well. Um, but continue your question.
0: So, like, w- at what point in, in young uh, Bill Bungross' life did you go, you know what I want to do? I want to direct...
1: Like, do I saw a movie called Do the Right Thing in 1989, and I wanted to know how it was made. And I found out that this guy, Spike Lee, made it, and there was other movies I saw that year. Drugstore Cowboy, mm-hmm. um, by my friend Brittany Haig in Colorado Springs, turned me on to these movies. And I realized that there was a director for those movies. And then I went back to, and I was like, oh, okay, so this movie you know, was made by this guy wrote it and directed it and he, he, it was from his imagination (laughs) and then I started to say, okay, well, what are other movies I like? How did The Breakfast Club get made? How did, you know, uh, you know, how did, how did, and there was this, you know, it was always directed by, so before I quite knew what it was, I was like, I want to direct a movie, I want to make a movie like Do the Right Thing or make a movie like Drugstore Cowboy, um, you know, um, and, and, I, like, and, I, and that was it. I was going to be a director.
0: Uh, so you, you at first were focused on directing films.
1: Yes. Yeah. And, and still, and still am. Everything, everything feels like it's always just going towards that. And I've always wanted to, I've always wanted to be an actor's director. Um, when I went to film school, you know, it was kind of the Tarantino era, um, was just kind of kind of blowing up in the late '90s, and people just wanted to have like a lot of fast, you know, things happening. And oh gosh, I can't even remember who did Lock, Stock, and Two. You know, oh uh, yeah, uh,
0: I can't remember. It's his a
1: name. You, you know great movie, but everybody was excited about oh wow, you can you can fast you, cuts you, can, you can and... do all this, you can do all this stuff in this wild postmodernism stuff. And I I, I have three hours of film that have influenced me and uh, I'm very pretentious if you haven't figured that out already. <laughs> it's the French New Wave and it's the new Hollywood of the late 60s and early 70s and it's the 80s Independence. And most of the movies I like are from that those one of those eras and anything else is like, you know, I happen to like this movie. Sure. Um, but it beca- and one of the things I like, even though there's unbelievable, you know, camera and uh, Editing techniques used in all of those, but the things that I really, really like um, is the is the acting, is the improvisation, the strange and weird improvisation in the uh, new wave films, the kitchen sink acting in the seventies films, and again the, the the kitchen sink acting in the in the eighties films is just so great. And that's what the type of films that I wanted to do, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and still, and still, want to make. And to me, film is the Perfect semblance of like my theater background and music you know well, it's course. like put it all together and mix it up so that's always where the goal was and then Second City became something along the way um,
0: yeah how did you uh, get involved so you went to film school and then how did Second City come into your life
1: well it's uh, I mean it was Second City was in my life <laughs> really early I found out when I was a kid and living in um, right near the theater, um, I guess I was really interested in the place. And my mom tried to get me in um, at, like, age five. And they are like, oh, he's too young. And she only told, told me the story years years later. But I guess I was always fascinated with Second City. But I had kind of forgotten about it. And then uh, I was taking a year off. I had left NYU. And I was taking a year off. And I was at the Old Town Ale House, which was this bar next door. And I was in there. I was about 19 years old. And I was... Um, I had heard rumors that it was like it had some vague Beat Generation connection to the bar, and I'd gone to the Village Theater, which was at the time the oldest theater in Chicago, movie theater, to see this Beat Generation movie. And then I was hanging out at the bar next door, and I wanted to watch SNL because I was, you know, nineteen. And the, you know, that's what you do. <laughs> sure, you can still watch SNL. And uh, um, and this guy told me they, you know, they weren't going to turn down, turn up the volume and this guy told me why don't you go next door to the free set and I went over to Second City and I watched the free improv set and this is about 98 and you're looking at the cast of Psychopath Not Taken which would become my favorite show uh-huh. main stage show um, and it was just one of those revelations of oh, okay this is, has something to do with do with me and I found out Mike Nichols had something to do with it and he was one of my favorite directors Uh, at the time and still is and then it was just like uh okay well i have this i have something to do with this place and then i went to went back to college you know basically got a degree went to spain you know i did my whole adventure thing and uh and then landed back in new york city with an internship for snl oh wow Um, Uh that's great and uh, and I was like, and I was there, and uh, I'd taken a couple classes at, at Second City, and I was like, I really love this, and I think the type of films that I want to make are connected to this, and I want to I want to go back. So I left New York, and I went through the program, and you know, started as an actor, and then as soon as the directing program, which both of us were,
0: yeah, graduated a little bit after you, a couple couple years after you, yeah,
1: and uh, and then I you know I kind of knew, knew that I wanted to do that but yeah Second City from the moment I you know that was 1998 It's over 10 years ago and from the moment I stepped in I was like okay this is a has a this has something to do with my life and it always and it always has felt that way I you know any corporation you work for is gonna have you're gonna have your ups and downs you can't you know it's a it's a business but I I feel very connected to the theater and the theater's history and is really really important to me
0: well and I mean now uh, you've for what it's worth you've etched your name in the annals of Second City history because you've directed now two stages which uh, as Second City goes as I understand it you become an alum of Second City if you've either acted on one of the stages or you've directed a stage and you've directed two
1: yeah yeah so so I'm I'm very happy to be a part of that I'm very happy to be a part of the history and I um, yeah I feel like it's I feel like it's a Wildly important thing, uh, like a touchstone or something in my life. Uh, directing the shows that I directed at Second City, with the work that I want to continue to do, it feels like uh, it feels like a major step. Uh, was not only going through the the whole world there, but especially working with the people, the actors I did in the resident stages, and and, uh, and and you know that that part of my life is very very important. I feel like. Have you
0: actually directed any films?
1: I have. I've directed, uh, you know, I directed, you know, films in college, and I directed a TV pilot. Oh, wow. Um, Right before I started, right before I got my touring company directing job uh, at Second City a few years ago, I directed a pilot called Chicagoland, and it was... It had uh, improvisers I loved. It was TJ and uh, David Piskwazy and Noah Operless and um, oh, Deb Downing and Peter Gross wrote a little bit for it uh, and Sue Gillen and it was just a great cast and we, we made this pilot and we took it to L.A. and Scott Thompson, who is, uh, is from Kids in the Hall, saw yeah. it and he was the executive producer of it, and we went around Hollywood and we pitched it, and it was it was a great experience. And, uh, it didn't get bought, uh, but it was you know it was a really great experience for me. Absolutely, uh, I was sad. I, I would have loved to have worked with those guys on a you know weekly basis, creating a show. Maybe one day I will, but uh, but yeah, and that that was that. The, and and since then, I have just been. Focused on the stage just because it it's been so time consuming. Yeah. But right now I'm working on a film and uh, uh, pretty close to completion of the script and I'm trying to get the thing off the ground. You know, it's going to be a process, but I, I absolutely will make a film in Chicago. Unless I die. I will I will make sure that, that happens. I bet you can do it even dead. Yeah, maybe, like you have a
0: lot of determination.
1: Well, according to my Second City bio, I'm already dead, so... Oh, well, that's odd. Why what, <laughs> what what does it say you're dead? That's uh, a long story. But, Fair enough. But in, in my Second City bio, I'm, I'm already dead, so... Officially, I'm not...
0: I'm already deceased, as of last year. <laughs> okay, well, that's fine. Um, it's nice to have a dead man on, <laughs> on my podcast. Uh, so... <laughs> you, uh, you, you come off and, like, uh, to me at least, as, uh, like, the the coolest guy. Like, you're, like, a surfer and a, you've lived all well, I'm this. I'm not a and very like, good surfer. I'm not a very I, you, don't, you don't have to be good, but you, like, know it. Like, you're just, like, I mean, and that's just, like, one <laughs> thing. You're, like, oh, yeah, I went to NYU and, like, I like French New waves. You're, like, that guy, you know, like, that's super cool. But you were also... It sounds really pretentious. I sound like a really is pre- pretentious Is it guy? pretentious? Or is, like, I think you actually live it, but, uh... You also are kind of a goofball when you want to be. Uh, What makes Billy Bongeroff laugh? Um, well, I
1: really (laughs) disturbing (laughs) stuff. Okay. I think. (laughs) I think you know. I mean, my favorite comedies. If you really, you know, I sure a lot. Bring it. Rosemary's baby makes me laugh.
0: remember comedy? I love it.
1: <laughs> I love it. I just think it's so funny. I talk about it all the time. I
0: do remember the first time I, I watched it laughing at the part where they're like Satan hail Satan
1: <laughs> hail Satan. It's great. It's I love I love movies that have every that have so many genres and you don't know what to do. Like Blue Velvet's one of my favorite movies. Sure. Yeah, okay. And it's like is it funny? Is it horrifyingly scary? <laughs> I don't know what to do. I love that. I don't know if I could make a film like that, but I, I, I feel like they are they are on such a great level. Movies like that um, that makes me laugh. Um, a Hard Day's Night makes me laugh. Um, I was watching Stand by Me. Might be my you know one of my top favorite movies. That makes me laugh. I laugh at you know. I, I guess whatever but I do laugh at really demented stuff. <laughs> demented and mostly sick, mostly cruel. yeah mostly yeah mostly um yeah I I think I enjoyed working with the main stage cast recently because they are just have just
0: sick <laughs> sick it's horrible individuals that should never leave the
1: But that's theater. satire, you know. Well, I mean, like, and it. I think that's what's so great. Um wonder shows and you ever see wonder shows?
0: I didn't know. Sometimes
1: no. I'm watching it and I'm like, oh. the, uh, the the original Office made me laugh harder than anything. Really? The okay. third episode of the, I think it's the third episode where of the British the, Office, the British Office that made me laugh so hard. I was like, this is unbelievable. Well wow. I saw that. You know, there's those things in your life where you see, like when I said to the right thing, or when I saw Rushmore, or when I saw the first Office, it was like, oh my god, they've taken it to another level. <laughs>
0: You know, oh, that's goes. awesome. Yeah. Uh, okay, this is a question I ask all my guests, uh, which is, if, if in a horrible hypothetical world, mm-hmm. we took away music and theater and film, uh, is there a career path that you are aware of that you could do, that, that you could live with? Absolutely not.
1: Absolutely not. No. uh uh-uh. I've tried to do stuff like that. I will... You can put me in a nine to five job. I can get a nine to five job. I can, I can look clean cut, and I can, um, I can act. I can be charming in an interview, and I can get a nine to five job. I can never keep it because I'd start staying up late at night, making up weird things, having weird ideas, not sleeping, coming into work, a crazed madman, <laughs> and getting fired. Well, that's happened. Okay. Over and over again. What's
0: the worst day job
1: you've had? Uh, I sold. My, they're, they're all, you know, they're all great, and but I, you know, selling burritos out of a truck. Um, I did that one summer.
0: <laughs> I uh, like drive a truck to like a construction site and sell burritos. Well, actually, a board
1: of trade. Uh, wow. that was a good one. Um, I was a dog walker. That's that's a pretty standard one in Chicago. I was. Uh, I worked for a slumlord in Philadelphia of course you've been Pennsylvania uh, and I would have to go collect the rent from people you were a Shylock kind of yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was Shylock
1: <laughs> yeah I would have to go collect the rent uh, from people I had terrible jobs and he would come in and I, he would come into the back office and I would be like like listening to like you know like uh, Brian Eno or some sort of like you know ambient or like weird you know to him weird stuff and he would come in and be like is something wrong are you depressed and I'm like no 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 (laughs) Uh, no I just want to work with one light on and you know (laughs) (laughs) you know yeah I cannot hold down I cannot hold down a regular job if I had to hold down a regular job I would probably just be a full time adventurer and just you know Fine. So in that world, I would, you know. I could just,
0: I just immediately pictured you with a pith helmet and a machete going through the jungles of Africa for no reason that I if, could. If,
1: if that was, if that was the world, then I would, I would become a, yeah, I would just, I would just live off the land or something bizarre. I mean, I'd do something <laughs> real weird.
0: Uh. Okay, so what do we want to plug? Uh, Go to iTunes and look up J.C. Brooks and the Uptown Sound. Absolutely. Plenty of songs on iTunes that you can download. Yeah. Um, If you're in Chicago, you just recently directed the ETC show, right? No, I'm sorry. The main main stage show, uh, South Side of Heaven. South Side of Heaven, playing the main stage of Chicago's Second City. Mm -hmm. Um, And... Who knows what else is to come from uh, Absolutely What's and, your uh, uh, website for the band? Uh, oh you just
1: you can just look up JC Brooks and the Uptown Sound There's multiple websites
0: Okay uh, And
1: uh, yeah, yeah that's, about, that's about it
0: Awesome uh, Well we'll end with the outro music uh, what if, uh, We'll end with the JC Brooks song it Sounds good And uh, thanks so much for being on Living the Dream Thanks for having me Thank you to Phil Ranta, CEO of Comedy Podcast Network, Tom Burns for the logo, Diana Lawrence for the original music. Send me an email, livingthedreampodcast at gmail.com. Like our Facebook page. I appreciate all the feedback, so keep it coming. Helps out a lot. Now, we normally go out on Diana Lawrence's lovely piano melody, but today I'm going to leave you with J.C. Brooks and the Uptown Sound. This is off their label debut album, Want More, and here's the song, Everything Will Be Fine, Living the Dream.
1: May, yeah, yeah, yeah